This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Coming up next, conversations on human rights with Speak Up, Kōrerotia, here on Plains FM. Eina mana, eina reo, eina hoe fa, tena koto katoa, no mai ki tene hotaka. Speak up, Korerotia. Tune in as our guests speak up, sharing their unique and powerful experiences and opinions. And may you also be inspired to speak up when the moment's right. Ko speak up, Korerotia, tene, ko sali kalten aho. Call the Dawn Raids Tekopapa Oterane. Today we're going to be talking about the Dawn Raids and not just the Dawn Raids, what they were, but also the recent apology from the New Zealand government for the Dawn Raids. What's particularly exciting about this corridor today is that we're going to be thinking about what does that apology mean and kind of situating it within a context of political apologies more generally. We've got four guests today who all bring a range of perspectives to this conversation. We've got Benji Timu and Selwyn Gamble who were involved in the campaign to try and encourage the government to get involved in giving this apology. We've got Melani Anai who's at the University of Auckland who was involved and is going to bring a perspective on the Polynesian Panthers. And we've got Kathy Smits also from the University of Auckland who will I think be contributing mainly around situating the apology in a broader context. So, with that in mind, it would be fantastic if you could all please tell us a wee bit more about yourselves and what is it that's prompted you to get involved in today's quarter. Perhaps Melani will start with you. This is a body, heart and soul project because I'm um, being a member of the original Polynesian Panther Party. The apology has been 50 years coming, although it was in the last two years which it took on a momentum of its own and just flew I need to be careful because I could speak for hours and hours on the Panthers, but I think there's enough literature and the documentaries and social media out there where people now are aware of who we are in terms of being activists at the ages of 16 and 17 and what I call the crucible years, which is 1971-74. It was during those three years that we set up our platform, that we developed our programs, our community survival programs, homework centres, and uh, together with People's Union and other collaborators, we had the pig patrols and the TAB, Tenancy Agency Brigade. So those programs were already set up prior to the dawn raids. And so in a way, it was really fortuitous because we had about 500 members nationwide. And so when the dawn raids arrived, we were set up and ready for the fight. So really looking forward to this discussion. It's good to know that the Polynesian Panthers predated the Don Raids. That's a good context to have as, as we move forward in this conversation as well. Perhaps Selwyn will hear from you next. Cool. Kia ora everybody. My name is Salon Gamble. I am 21 years old. I am a trustee for the Pacific Youth Leadership and Transformation Trust which is really cool to see like the sort of papa of Pacific advocacy going back to the Polynesian Panthers. And what was my entryway into all of this? I went to high school in Ototahi Christchurch and pilot 
was having the second Pacific Youth Parliament event at my high school. And I was year 13 at the time and I was leading the Polyfest group. I asked my group if anybody could do it and nobody could at the time. So I put my hand up to take part in it. And I was elected as leader of the opposition party for the simulator parliament. We're a registered charitable trust. Most of us are based in Otautahi, but we do have um, trustees in um, Otepotsi, Te Whanganui Atara and Tamaki Makoto. We're nationwide, but we're, we're based in Christchurch. Thank you very much. Cathy, how about we go with you? Thanks. Kia ora, everybody. So I'm Cathy Smiths from Politics at the University, and uh, I, I just want to say what a privilege it is to be able to participate in this conversation with people who are involved and who have been involved. So I'm really excited about it. So I have a very different background and perspective. I'm Australian, a very recent New Zealander, but I have lived here for 17 years, and I teach and work in politics and political ideas. I've always been very interested and done a lot of work in issues around the formation of communities and uh, national communities and diverse communities within nations. A few years ago, I got very interested in the whole question of apologies, actually around about the time that there was one finally delivered in my home country of Australia to the Indigenous people there, and particularly the members of the Stolen Generation. And um, and I did some work on apologies and, and have written on it and sort of kept reading about it ever since. So my possibly small, but I hope possibly useful contribution to the conversation will be, yeah, maybe helping situate the apology um, in that broader context. Fantastic. Thanks so much. And finally, we've got Benji. Rana tato kato toa, ko Benji toku ingoa, e wanga au no te oire vaipai, e aitutaki, e pera katoa, atu e mangaia. Maaloro soi fo mau marelangi e mama. My name is Benji Tingu. I thought I would start off with the Cook Island intro because it's a Cook Island language week, and also I happen to be from the Cook Islands. My pathway into Pacific advocacy, I guess, started maybe a few years back. I sort of became aware of my upbringing and how um, protected I was in terms of understanding the sort of social issues that underlied a lot of the inequalities that were happening in our community. I went to a Catholic school, and I was sort of on path to being this, like, savior of our people in a western world um, so i left high school and i ended up um, getting my bachelor in architectural studies followed on gaining my master's in architecture during that period i began to shift away from the church a bit more just as i began to understand a lot of those layers and how it was implemented in my island of samoa cook island and Niue. Um and from then on i started to i guess educate myself a bit more outside of the university realm and started to doing started doing my own research one thing i was really passionate about a few years ago was storytelling that was evident in my architecture work telling the stories of our people through architecture but also um, through film i was really fascinated in the way that we we're able to tell our stories like that and actually how it can be distorted by other people and so I grew up in GI, a sort of low socioeconomic area, juxtaposing against, you know, Mission Base and Halliers, we're right next to them. And so we're easily overlooked when it comes to our little district. Um, what I sort of realized as well is that a lot of our stories were being told by One News, Three News, Police 10, Seven, and it was told by people that didn't look like us. And so in 2017, myself alongside four others we formed a group called no six and our main mission was to reclaim the narrative and so since 2017 to about now i've been you know doing that in in different various ways 
whether that's through film or whether that's through my voice. From that work, I had the opportunity to meet the claw, like Milani and Tingi, um, Alec and um, Pauline. And, you know, I only met them about three or four months ago. And since then, it's been, you know, a fascinating journey for myself, you know, not only learning about what had happened in the 70s, but also all the other things that sort of tie in the inequalities that's that's been happening in our community. As you guys know, Josiah and I, we petitioned for an apology. Uh, we did understand there was a process that was happening in the background. Um, however, we wanted the youth voice to be known as well. Coming back to our mission of reclaiming the narrative as, as young people too, I think it was important for us to voice our concerns through a different way or through the digital age too. Amazing intros, everybody. What a wealth of experience we're bringing to this kōrero today. Just then to set the scene before we get into things like talking more about the apology, I've got so many questions for you, Benji and Selwyn, about the actual process of it. But just to set the scene, what were the dawn raids? When did they occur? Those sorts of things for people who may not be familiar with the context. 1974 and by a Labour-led government and 1976 by our national government state-sanctioned racism and terrorism to Pacific people, knocking on the doors, breaking down of doors, spotlights on faces, dogs barking, people hauled out of their bedrooms in their 90s or just lover-lovers and taken to the police cells and shipped back to the islands the next day. As you may know, Cook Islanders New Orleans took allowance of New Zealand citizens, but Samoans and Tongans need to have a visa to come and work here. Before the 70s, the post-war boom created gaps in New Zealand's economy where there were labour shortages and blue-collar work. And so, of course, um, Pacific people, especially Samoans and Tongans, were willing to come to, to Aotearoa to fill those gaps. And so my parents were one of those families that came over and they came on mass. And the rhetoric you'll hear from all that generation, my parents' generation, was we came for a better education for our children and for a better life. When work was a plenty, everything was fine. Visas were being overstayed. Employers in the church turned a blind eye because they were really good workers. They worked for a pittance. They were respectful to establishment. They did their jobs. And then in the economic recession hit New Zealand, the global oil crisis and things were getting hard. The government began their project on pointing us as, in the media especially, as criminals. So, you know, they played the law justice platform in their election campaigns, especially National Party. So that's when the dawn raids commenced in 1974. The police and immigration department were given special access to being able to round up and deport people who'd overstayed their permits. And as um, is well known now in terms of uh, the discourse out there, only 30% of Pacific were overstayers, and yet 90% of the deportations were, the major overstayers were from Europe, United Kingdom, South Africa. So that, that is what the apology was for. Um, it created layers of shame and trauma and distrust of the government and for us Panthers, that was the main reason why the apology was necessary. Benji and Selwyn, I'd be interested to hear if you guys have any sense of what Melanie was just talking about there, 
the legacies of the Don Raids within your families or within your communities more broadly? I didn't have any family members that were directly affected by the Dawn Raids, but I did have uh, family members that had complications with immigration issues. I had stories of my uncle, you know, as soon as he hears a knock on the door, he runs through the back and climbs fences. Mine's actually a new addition because it's something I've only um, learned about a couple of weeks ago because my mum's spoken up about it, but that's part of the findings that's happening because of this apology. My great auntie, um, she was one of the first Tongan people to come down south in Ōtautahi after the Second World War, and she was part of the Dawn Raid. She was hiding other Tongans and other Pacific people from the police. I think there's kind of a sort of mindset that it just happened in Auckland, but actually it was happening all around Aotearoa. Yeah, unfortunately she's passed away now, so it's hard to get details, but it's something I'd actually like to look into some more. It goes to show that this isn't a close-ended thing because of the apology. It's actually still going, and it will still keep going. Great point you've made about the fact that all this discussion is prompting reflection and prompting more people to, to stand up and talk about it. Is, it's got to be a great thing in terms of coming to terms with or trying to process or trying to move on and heal from what's happened. Totally. Since the apology was announced, the floodgates have been opened. I've had several calls from a Tongan gentleman who said that he couldn't tell his wife that as a 20-year-old, he was dawn raided. And he was with his 17-year-old cousin at the time. And he told me that up to that point, he couldn't even tell his wife. And, and she wondered why every time the dawn raids were mentioned, her, her husband would just clam up and not talk. And so he felt he could be free now to talk. Some of the Panthers' own families have opened up. Sisters have said that they hadn't even told their own sister that they had been dawn raided. Tingi Launessa's sister, who used to be on night shift at the hospital, told him for the first time in over 50 years that she was so scared of leaving the house to go to work, of being picked up by the police. This is amazing. And there's other stories. I read on social media, the story of a, a woman and her two babies um, who hid in a, in a wardrobe when the house was being raided. And she heard the policeman come into the bedroom where she was hiding, open the wardrobe, shone a torch on her and her two kids, closed the doors and yelled out, nope, nobody in here. And he went out. So the stories go both ways. You know, policemen who were forced to do things they weren't wanting to do and, and survivors and victims now feeling not guilty, feeling free to really relive that experience. And to me, that's been the best thing that's come out of the apology is the freedom of our people to be who they are and not be afraid and not be ashamed. Kathy, is that something that you've noticed in terms of your work on other apologies, that the actual act of an apology, that formalisation of talking it through has prompted people to feel more comfortable with it? Absolutely, completely. This is a very often noted phenomenon with apologies. Um, you know, for obvious reasons, the apology brings things out into the public, right? And for the government making the apology, there's a taking on of responsibility, and there's an acknowledgement. And for the people who are receiving the apology, there's this acknowledgement of self-worth. And that acknowledgement of self-worth is an acknowledgement of the worth of the experience of people who went through it. So it's very common in cases of apology for that to be accompanied by a big public conversation and discussion in which people can actually 
bring up their experiences and have them made publicly known. And of course, the Prime Minister referred to this as part of what she wanted to happen as a result of the apology. And if you compare this, say, to what happened with Prime Minister Kevin Rudd's apology to Indigenous Australians, very similar, right? There was a Royal Commission. There were many people who had not been able to tell their stories, as, you know, um, Milani talked about, you know, people in their own families. But also these stories became then part of the common currency and experience of the broader community as well. They're folded into school curricula, you know, they're folded into university curricula. So it's this full acknowledgement. And this, the great thing about these apologies is they work on a personal level for people who are bringing up their stories and have that acknowledgement. But they also work on a communal level, right? Because, you know, this then becomes part of the, the currency of what New Zealand history is. And New Zealand history is also the stories of people who've experienced those raids. So, yeah, I'm very excited about this aspect of the apology. Benji and Selwyn, anything else you'd like to add about the context of the Dawn raids themselves or the legacies before we move on to our first song? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just something, something that I found that was a really interesting note was, you know, during those times relations between New Zealand and the United Kingdom were sort of waning as they worked toward integrating more into Europe with the European economic community. It's almost scary, the timing of that, how, how with Brexit and everything and breaking from that, and they're looking to, you know, setting up free trade deals with New Zealand as a, as a modern state. It's, it's almost that weird full circle-ness of it that's, um, that's going on that I just find really strange and sort of what does that speak to about our colonial legacy as a, as, as a British colony? It's, it's something I think a lot about, you know, what does decolonization look like and what are the legacies of that having British systems as a country? It leads to stuff like this, doesn't it, really? And it's lasting. You know, you can talk about all the theory that you want, but when you're experiencing it, it's, um, you feel it. You feel it. Yeah. Okay, we might have our first song then. Manana, you suggested Dawia by Tingalo Nice.
Makeup Coordinator here, and today we're talking about the Dawn Raids. We're talking with Kathy Smits, Milani Alane, Selwyn Gamble, and Benji Timo. I'd like to talk now about the campaign, the movement that grew in the last couple of years to push for an apology. For you young ones, you need to know that everything has a whakapapa. Every event has a genealogy, a ngaha. The whakapapa of the apology is really important. The whakapapa of the apology happened two years ago on the program, The Project TV3. Um, it was a, a program that was highlighting Pauline Smith's another Panthers um, book called The Dawn Raids. And so the program was talking about the Dawn Raid book and also interviewed me about the Panthers and the Dawn Raids and what it was like and the reverse Dawn Raids that the Panthers carried out on the politicians. And Mark Richardson, actually, at the end of the program, as an aside, said, I think the government needs to apologise to these people for the Dawn Raids. And that's when the idea was out there on, you know, on the screens. It took on a life of its own two years ago when a Labour list MP, Liz Craig, decided to take it up with her colleagues in Parliament through the CLAW. And plus, in our Educate to Liberate program in schools, some of this, the questions from students were saying, oh, has there been an apology yet? So we were getting this feedback from teachers and students in the schools about why there wasn't an apology. And then we heard about Josiah and Benji's work in terms of their petition. And so it all seemed to tie in. The timing was immaculate, perfect for the big push for the apology. And so, um, so, for, so for two years, we've been having conversations with the Ministry of Pacific Peoples and the culmination of that. We actually submitted, the clause submitted our shopping list to the government for the apology. And that culminated in the beautiful ceremony. Actually, what was beautiful about it was the government finally being culpable for the terrorism of the Dawn Raids. From our perspectives as young people, I think something that was really important to us was responding to the Polynesian Panthers' call for this via petition. I think something that was very important was having somebody who could represent both the South Island and the North Island, just as from Dunedin, actually but he's based in Christchurch at the moment. And having Benji being up from Auckland, I think that was something that was very important to get this as widespread as possible. I thought it was really important to tap into our networks, given that this happened outside of our existence, pretty much. And and so, like, you know, for myself, for example, I, I knew nothing about the Dawn Raids in high school, even, even in university as well. You can imagine what my reaction was when I found out that the Dawn Raids had a really traumatic past and whakapapa, that it sort of, you know, it sparked a curiosity into our legacy as Pacifica people in Aotearoa. And just, you know, unraveling all those layers, it kind of explained a lot about the sort of racism that was happening. For example, you know, I went to a predominantly Pakia school the um, comments that I would hear quite often really mirrored, um, I guess, how the government felt about us in the 70s, even got to the point where I was actually quite violent in, in my first year of high school, you know, being suspended. Um, 
I'm not proud of it, but I used to beat up a lot of white kids because of their racist comments. And this is only because I came from a predominantly Pacifica school, 99% Polynesians, primary school. And then I moved into high school where we're probably maybe 10%. Being a minority in a school, you know, I really, really felt it, um, especially through the casual racism that happened. When the Panthers Claw heard um, about Josiah's and uh, Benji's petition, we, we were over the moon because we know that the true revolution in this country will happen from the young people. It'll happen with the youth. And that's in our Educate to Liberate program where we share our platform. And the three-point platform is peaceful resistance against racism. Number two, mana pacifica. Celebrate, be proud of your ethnic identity. And number three, educate to liberate. So we tell these young people, if you take that platform and live it, then, you know, change will happen. And so when we saw these young people take on the call for the petition, we said, yes, you know, that's what we need. And we know that that's the revolution that's going to happen. Government isn't going to change like we would like the government to change in terms of the whole upheaval of the school curriculum to expose racism and and celebrate the harmonious race relations. Change will come from these young people. And so we are happy to pass the mantle on to this informed and educated generation. Already some of the schools are um, asking the right questions and forming groups that will um, highlight and shine the light on things that they are worried about in their own hoods. You know, things that is, uh, are impacting on them and their families because you know, let's face it, racism is racism and will always be there. It's one thing when we think today that, oh, we've got a truly diverse, culturally diverse New Zealand now. Well, we have, you know, on the surface. And what's gurgling below is the, you know, systemic racism that's keeping the stats as they are in terms of Māori and Pacific people failing all over the place across all the socioeconomic indices. What's going on, really? And until those statistics change, we all know that systemic racism is, you know, operating quite nicely. Thank you. And that's the job of the youth is to shine the light on it. Um, don't be swayed by the surface things that are happening and be, you know, forthright and carrying the platform. And I mean, that's what New Zealand needs. We've got, we've got a chance to show the world how to live together in harmony. We've done it before. We stood together in, in the 1981 Springbok tour as a nation. No colour, creed, religion, anything, just fighting the beast, which was apartheid. And we can do it again, but we can't do it with the misinformed and miseducated youth because they are the leaders of the future. One thing I wonder about this intergenerational theme that you're raising here is the power of social media in terms of this campaign and in terms of pushing for the apology. And that's something that Benji and Selwyn and young people more broadly have such a great handle on and being able to mobilize the power of social media. I think we're very fortunate in a sense to live in a country as such, because, you know, if you're thinking about larger nations, maybe such as the USA, it's so easy to get caught up in the bureaucracy and have your voice lost. And there are multiple avenues on how you can approach something if you want to speak up. 
if systems are having you down, all you have to do is get louder, go on the radio. You can make submissions, you can write letters. We've seen it with protests. There are multiple avenues and we have the population to be able to do so. And people are utilizing that. And I think more so on a generational basis, I think people are more aware. And I think there's a willingness to um, have a discussion amongst our rangatahi here in Aotearoa. I think using the systems and making the most out of the situation that we have, people are, um, uh, yeah, are using it more. I think we could we could go stronger, personally. But I think it's a start, and I think we just got to keep going. I could just maybe just add a little bit to that, and it's actually really interesting because you know, there's often a perception that young people are not so politically involved because of the, the focus on social media and all of that. That you know we've all been privatized, but um, I think this is really mistaken. You know, what we saw with the apology was a prime example. Social media activism linked to actual real-world activism that produces an event, you know, a wonderful event. I also think this is really a sign. We see this in Pacifica Movements, Māori, for young women who are using the internet in a way that will really sort of agitate for real-world political change. So, yeah, it's great. Yeah, but when we go out to the schools, the students say, how can we be activists? How can we, we be Polynesian Panthers? And then I said, well, you know, back in the day, we had no cell phones. Let's show that you can do it with just your hands and a heart. You've got the tools now. And I said, to be a Polynesian Panther, you have to use your tools. It's a new time, a new place. You use the power. What was the idea behind an apology? Why an apology? What is the potency that comes with a formal, a political apology? When Alex gave his speech on the stage in the town hall, he did say that, you know, people call us activists, some people call us revolutionaries, but we were just seen as moipees through our parents and their generation, which is bedwetters, right? But at that moment on the stage, we were moipees who became VIPs. And that's because, that's because we finally got the government to proclaim that it was racist. End of story. People often say we're living in an age of apologies and certainly since like the 1980s there have been a lot of apologies delivered by states around the world and by, by groups, by churches, religious organisations. This I guess started maybe in the 70s when uh, West Germany apologised um, to the Jewish people for the Holocaust but since then there have been many other apologies so I, I think this does kind of create what we might call a norm, an idea that, you know, it's possible for this to happen. This can happen. We see it happening in other kind of contexts. And then to ask the question, what kind of apology would be meaningful? And there, so there have been many apologies delivered in New Zealand as, as well as around the world, but they're often very distinctive. And I think the apology for the Dawn Raids was, was particularly distinctive as well, of course, culturally distinctive and afraided in a way to create the most meaning for people involved. So I think there is this definite idea out there that states can apologise. Then, of course, you know, there's a lot of debate over whether is an apology enough? Is an apology just symbolic? What would it mean if it were just symbolic? Is there an important dimension that's symbolic? And, and what, you know, what will follow, obviously, is a big issue. So people talk about apologies and think about them, and there, there are real political options. What we found with this apology in particular is that people feel various different feelings. And I think mm -hmm. it's really important to emphasize that all of those are okay because we're all going to react to it in a different way and um, just actually letting that play out is super important we're not all going to feel one uniformed feeling are we because that's just not who we are as a people yeah. we're all unique we're diverse and it affects us in different ways yeah what i think is stand out about new zealand's apologies though there've only been three to the chinese samoa and now to pacific people in new zealand they've been to three ethnic minority groups 
And that's what makes New Zealand's apologies stand out. For the Panthers, the main point behind what was good about the apology was a time for healing. Healing. That was a people-centred outcome that we wanted. As I said before, we had a shopping list. We didn't want it just to be words. There had to be real outcomes. So to me, for the Panthers, our main thrust was a time of healing, not only for the people and the victims, but for the government to heal itself and start thinking about the ideas that gave rise to the Dawn Raids, that gave rise to Parihaka, that gave rise to all the fights that we've had in Aotearoa to, to rethink and, and maybe change. And that's what the Panthers stood for. We needed to conscientize three sets of people, Tangata Whenua, the dominant Paranis, and our own people, our own elders. This apology is only a start. Heal, look after the body and soul of a people and peoples who are affected, and then get the strength to that. I'd just like to reiterate for people listening who may not be familiar, those two apologies, the two previous New Zealand government apologies that Manali referred to, were both in 2002 under Helen Clark. And the first one was to the Chinese community for the poll tax that was around Chinese migrants coming into New Zealand. So that was an apology for that racist policy. And the second one was an apology to Samoa about the New Zealand occupation and the, the injustices that were committed during that time for introducing the flu to Samoa and the pandemic that occurred there. So we're going to have our second song, which is United We Stand, which was a song that Benji, you suggested here. We sing it after every visit. So I, I had the chance to tour with, with the claw across the Motu to Wellington and up in Kaitaia. And every time the Claude did a session with the, with the kids or the community, you know, would end it with that song. It's funny because I actually didn't even know the song before I first heard it, but now I know it really well to the point where I can sing it with them. Yeah, same here, actually. <laughs> Lovely. Okay, here we go. United we stand.
Speak Up Kōrerote, and today we're talking about the Dawn Raids. One of the things people often say, you know, about apology, oh, it's just words, you know, or it's just symbolic. Of course, there is a symbolic dimension to the apology because it's the Prime Minister speaks on behalf of the whole nation and she says she stands there as a, a symbol of the nation. But I, I think one thing we would not want to do is underestimate the importance, of the symbolic importance of an apology. It's not enough in itself, but it really does meet that kind of public acknowledgement of uh, what was done, that what was done was wrong, that expression of regret and remorse, and the recognition and that restoring of that sense of self-worth to the people who were the victims of the dawn raids is really crucially important. And that was really so beautifully done with this apology with the Samoan ceremony. So there is a symbolic dimension, but then of course there's what does happen next. And sometimes apologies are followed by reparations, often followed by Programs designed to try to address the ongoing effects of what was done. So this speaks to what Milani is talking about with the ongoing racism in New Zealand. So, you know, I mean, there what we've got is the program of educational scholarships and the program for visiting leaders from Pacific Island people. The cultural dimension or the symbolic dimension of what is done is crucially important and how it's done is important, has to be done right. Canada had to apologise twice to Indigenous Canadians. The first time it really wasn't done with full participation and the ceremonial and inclusion dimensions that are so important. So that's important. But then what's really important is what happens next. So the apology is kind of a stage in a whole social movement forward. So we've talked about, you know, all the work that was done by the patterns, by young people leading up to it. There's that, then there's the apology, and then there's the ongoing thing. People think of it as a one event, but it's really a stage in that ongoing event and campaign. What a perfect segue into the next thing I'd like to be thinking about, which is, firstly, how did you feel hearing the apology mm. after all this emotion that's been building up for decades? But also, what are we thinking, what are we hoping as we move forward from that staging of the symbolic action? In our shopping list that we left with the government, we were clear as to what we wanted. We wanted an apology, as well as 100 annual scholarships, the overhaul of the current educational curriculum to include the compulsory teaching of racism, race relations, the dawn raids, and Pacific studies and the significance of the Treaty of Waitangi as the cornerstone of harmonious race relations in Aotearoa New Zealand across all sectors and assessed as achieved standards across appropriate non-history subjects. That was our shopping list. So what we actually got was watered down some national and Pacific scholarships and two other educational gestures that were really already in place you know, a publication about experiences of the dawn raids and the provision of resources to those schools already teaching them. The fight goes on. We know that education is the key. That is why our parents came to this country, for a better education. And somehow it's been subsumed under a whole lot of different careers, mainly sports, <laughs> creative stuff, but we need more academics and more people it was at university where I became empowered to understand about my pain and angst and anger against the system. It was at university that I learned, oh, it's not my fault, it's society. This is the way society works. And this is the message we need to get to our children and future leaders of the country. Knowledge is power. And I think that's what the government is afraid of, an informed, well-educated proletariat who will be able to fight and stand for themselves. It's not surprising that we got those gestures. And as I said, the fight must go on.
Benji and Selwyn, how did you feel firstly on hearing, on witnessing? Yeah, I felt pretty good, but I couldn't help but be cynical on the deliverables as well. Because, um, you know, as, as you guys have mentioned, the, the battle is still going on. But also just taking note that the Dawn Raids is a product of deep racist philosophies that's still around within the government and in our society. And so um, just understanding that the that this is, I guess, the tip of the iceberg that we're addressing. There's, there's so many different other issues that's happening in society. And so it's good to be happy with the little wins, such as the apology that, you know, that actually started 50 years ago. You know, Milani said it started two years ago. I actually think it started 50 years ago mm-hmm. when the Panthers first started. You know, the Panthers weren't only fighting against the Dawn Raids, they were fighting against so many different things. Um, you know, I learned about blackbirding by Uncle Tingy. And, you know, these are these are the different legacies that New Zealand government has, has left us. It is interesting that they did leave out the compulsory teachings of the Dawn Raids, mm. but not only the Dawn Raids, you know, other things that have happened in our Pacific community. Mm. And I do feel the same sentiment as Milani when they say they're afraid of of us being knowledgeable. Prime example is is ourselves as well. You know, I was educated in university, Salwan's in uni, and, you know, we're all quite powerful with our knowledge. And so you can imagine what uproar would happen when you would have a hundred of us, thousands of us educated and knowledgeable of all the different facets of, of the way our society was built on stolen land, on cheap labor, you know, there's so many different layers to it. And so, you know, the Dawn Raids is only the tip of the iceberg, actually the tip of the tip of the iceberg. I feel that's a real shame not including the teaching of it, especially given that from 2022, possibly 2023, there's going to be compulsory New Zealand history education in schools. That would be the perfect way of incorporating it into the curriculum. Don't worry, because over the last 10 years, we've been going to almost 30 schools in Auckland. Every year they ask us back. Those teachers are informed and enlightened and love their students and talk to them. And they are now becoming teachers themselves. I mean, my students, I've taught the Panthers story and the Dawn Rays to my university students since 2005. And since 2005, they've become teachers. And two of them have incorporated Pacific studies within their curriculum, right? And so that's what's worrying them at the moment. They can teach it, but it's not achieved. It'll count for nothing when the students want to go to university. So that's why our push is there for making the civic studies on the same power as history, where that's the only subject where you can learn about the Dawn Raids and get accredited, you know, a university pass. I've got heart, you know, we've, we've spoken to thousands of students over the last 10 years and hundreds of teachers and we are getting new schools and all sorts of schools asking us to come out there. So we're not too worried because we know that it's, you know, in years to come. In terms of our Panther and Bantra and our relationship with Tangata Whenua, we've always respected and uh, held Tangata Whenua in high esteem. And for example, at the university, I would not have lobbied to build a Fale Pacifica at the University of Auckland if there was not a marae. I felt, okay, cool, I can ask for a whale pacifica now because Tangata Whenua has got me there. And so this is, this is the amazing thing. Next year, it will be compulsory for Māori history to be taught. Future, I'm thinking 23, 24, 25, Pacific studies will become compulsory as well. 
That's how we're going to improve our race relations in this country. I'm really, really positive it's going to happen. Okay, Benji and uh, Selwyn, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Without a doubt. Maybe just to add to that, I think there's also that thing where I don't think New Zealanders, at least from the Pākehā population, they don't think of us as a Pacific nation. Like, this is actually Polynesia. Um, And, you know, that word in itself is a, you know, problematic label. But, you know, I I will use it for now. New Zealand as a modern state still has a colony, Tokelau. I would love to see that conversation brought up. We don't seem to address it. We still have a colony, you know, we still override their decisions. It's really important that we make sure that it's in our education policy. I think policy is the best way to incite action from government, government making policy. If they can have racist mandated policy, then they can have policy to uplift that, to start the beginnings of amending those wrongdoings. You know, Polynesian Panthers have their shop lists. You know, it's not like those things haven't been said. They're out there now. They know. They know exactly what's been outspoken. We're not being muddy about it. We're not being ambiguous. They know. They know exactly what we want. And the ball's in their court now. The ball's in their court. A wonderful and rich quarter. I've massively enjoyed myself. We are running out of time, though. So anything you'd like to say, final thoughts as we wrap up? Power to the people. I agree, yeah. Takata whenua, always. Takata whenua, first and foremost. Um, and then and then and then everybody else treaty inspired it's important it's important yes. to honor the treaty always power to the people and yeah definitely thinking about the government's responsibility to tertiary is really really important too it's the same fight also just want to mention that um you know this fight isn't in isolation it also goes alongside all the other social issues because it's all affected by the same you know poison which is racism really everything that Milani and, and so on and Benji have said. I mean, to remember the need for ongoing change, the symbolic dimensions of the apology were important. It was great to see that. It was great to see forgiveness, but there are ongoing effects of the dawn raids and effects of the much broader racist attitudes at the time. And yeah, I also, you know, hope that those can be changed. And I teach in a university too. So like Milani, I think universities are really a great place to help young people get together, raise consciousness, and um, sometimes raise the consciousness of their academic staff as well, you know, and then to move out there into the world. So yeah, I look forward to seeing it. Thank you so much to all of you. I was so much looking forward to this conversation and I really enjoyed it. So thank you very much and just inspiring all of you that you're involved in this work and that it's really hopeful to see the proof that actually something can happen from advocacy. So that's been really wonderful and inspiring to see. Thank you very much, all of you. Thank 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 you.